Um, if I haven't met you by chance, if I haven't had a chance to interact with you at all, my name's Jesse, and uh, I handle most of uh, the teaching uh, opportunities here, and I get the great privilege of diving into God's Word every week to uh, prepare it for us as a family. And we just finished as a church an entire year in the book of Jonah. Tricked you. We're doing Jonah this morning. Subliminal message up there. Um, yeah, we spent an entire year in, uh, in, in John, not, not Jonah. But, um, uh, in fact, someone in the church told me uh, not that long ago, they said, you know, uh, you are going to have to uh, get finished with the book of John because it's going to fall out of my Bible. Uh, and and um, my attempt is for the summer to be in, uh, in Jonah, and we're going to uh, cover one verse this morning. So, there could be a chance that we spend a little bit more time in it than intended. Um, someone asked me, uh, you're doing the book of Jonah because you need a short book, right? J- Jesse needs a short book. And uh, that's not necessarily the case. But we are going to be in Jonah. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the ushers would be glad to let you grab one of ours. Keep one of ours if you want to, if you don't own a Bible. Um, and if you get that Bible, here's the kicker. Uh, I know the page that Jonah is on, so page 774 of the Bibles that we're handing out to you is where the book of Jonah is, and um, it's, uh, if, you, if you're trying to find it and you, you've not closed your Bible, go to the middle, which will take you right, right to about Psalms, and then go 11 books to your right, and that's where Jonah is. 66 books in the Bible, you'll, or you can just go to the table of contents, that works too. No one will make fun of you. A couple things. Um, You know, each week uh, we try to do a a little moment of ministry to highlight some ministry and then a moment of missions to highlight what we're doing uh, globally. One uh, is tonight ministry on a ministry side. We are starting up our prothumia class. That word prothumia is the word that's used for the Brands who studied intently into the Word of God. And uh, we're kicking that off again tonight at 5.30 p.m. on the essence of God. It's a four-week study, and uh, our tremendous teaching elder, Brad Beers, is teaching that class, and he's going to be teaching on the doctrine of the Trinity. So uh, as I shared last week, he's going to do everything he can to not be a heretic and and fall into heresy as he teaches the Trinity. So uh, please come tonight, dive in. I don't know if you've ever had any questions about the doctrine of the Trinity, but it'll be a great time. Um, And then I want to highlight for you, at Easter time, it became really evident to us uh, through just how packed we are, were and through some of the responsive families that were visiting, that we needed to add a children's program uh, to our 8.30 a.m. service. And so the original goal with the staff was to try to add that within a year's uh, time and that we would add a children's uh, church for you families that are here at the 10.30 and for those who would come to the 8.30 um, by Easter of next year. Well, God has provided tremendously, and we've uh, bumped up that deadline. We think we're going to be able to actually do that by September. Uh, and so um, if, if you're looking to come a little earlier, uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide that for you by then. We are still looking for some more teachers. I think we've had close to eight new teachers step up over the last several weeks, which is an awesome praise. And uh, and again, they're just doing a tremendous job over there. Mind the mess. We are painting and kind of uh, redoing things. We hope to get some new carpet in there soon. And, and uh, Ray Hall is an old building. Um, I did a wedding yesterday, and they asked how long Sierra Bible Church has been in the community. I don't know if you know it or not, 50 years 
Sierra uh, Bible's been here. I don't know if you know this. I think this is like the coolest thing about the history of Sierra Bible Church. The only place closed on a Sunday when they planted the church was a bar across the street from the high school. So Sierra Bible Church was planted in a bar. Just, you know, if you're like super conservative, just let that kind of weigh on you a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, mission, Missions-wise, um, we have supported for several years Robert and Molly Clements, and they partner with Wycliffe. Uh, they recently have just moved back to Papua New Guinea. How many of you know where Papua New Guinea is? Yeah, right above Australia, uh, very dense jungle island, a um, lot of poverty, a lot of tribes there that uh, have not ever been reached uh, with the Bible, with the Word of God. They partner with Wycliffe, and on uh, the island of Papua New Guinea, on Papua New Guinea is the Wycliffe Bible Center. My wife and I have actually visited it. It's a really interesting place. But it's the center where missionaries from all over the world, Europe, Asia, all over the world, come to this Bible center in Papua New Guinea to then be sent out from that center to these tribes to translate the Word of God to people who've never heard the Word of God. And because of that, there are many missionaries that are like my family. We've got four kids. They go there with their children, and their children still need an education and still need to be taught the gospel. And on the, the Wycliffe Center is a school. And on that school, there are teachers who are teaching them science and English and education as well as the gospel. And that's what Robert and Molly are doing. They're pouring into the missionaries' uh, children from all over the world. And um, they just recently went back, so I want to encourage you to pray for them and just to let you know what they're up to. And then to also let you know, uh, whenever you tithe to Sierra Bible Church, a portion of our money goes to all kinds of different global things like that. Uh, and, but if you want more of your money to go towards missions, uh, on the envelope you got when you walked in, there's a box that says missions. Just check that box or write the amount you want from your tithes to go to that. And all of that goes uh, towards global missions and being a part of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. Here's my job this morning. Uh, we're going to do an introduction uh, to the book of Jonah. My wife asked me um, how I felt about the sermon yesterday, which is incredibly difficult to say because I hadn't preached it yet. So I told her to ask me at 10 o'clock after I preached the 831. It went okay, wife, by the way. <clears throat> A couple people liked it. <clears throat> Some didn't say anything. <coughs> um, the challenge for us as a, a Bible teaching church when we do something like the book of Jonah and we open up a book is to do some background work so we understand the context in which it's being spoken in. And to do that with some history and to not make it feel boring for a church or for those who may be visiting this morning who don't know Jesus is, is a challenge. And so I told the first service, I'll just uh, if it gets boring, I'll just make some funny faces and maybe you'll get reengaged with me again. Um, but uh, we have a tradition is before we dive in and we cover some of the backdrop here, uh, we have a tradition because we, we care deeply about God's word. Uh, that when we read God's word, we stand. So this morning, if you have the ability to stand with us, would you please stand with me as we read from Jonah chapter 1 and read the first three verses. Verse 1, chapter 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa 
and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. God, we ask you this morning for us to have a clear sense that your very being, that your very presence, that your love, that your grace, that your offer of forgiveness and reconciliation to the God of the universe is so very present and tangible this morning. We ask, Lord, for those of us who are called by faith that know you, that you administer your word in the way that is most appropriate. If we need conviction, Father, would you bring conviction? If we need comfort, Lord, would you please bring comfort? Father, if we are looking for healing, would you please please bring the healing that we need this morning? If you, Father, see some of us in need of following in the path of repentance, Lord, would you please offer a clear path for us to take? Remove distraction from our minds. Give us clarity. And may your voice be clear. We trust you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you may be seated. So, um, most likely, (laughs) most likely, some of you, if not all of you, have some kind of context for Jonah. I, I would doubt that many of you, even if you're not a Christian this morning, have not heard some kind of, some kind of uh, backdrop of who Jonah is. For me, um, growing up in a non-Christian home, my grandmother used to share with me the, the great story of Jonah. And, and there's something about the book that engages, especially for me as a young man, you know, like my children's age, it just engages the imagination. I remember thinking as a young age, the things that, 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 that go back for me over 30 years ago and thinking about my grandmother, grandmother sharing this story that, that in the Bible that, that there's a real guy by the name of Jonah who ran from the presence of God and God saw fit in his sovereignty to send a great monstrous fish and swallow Jonah, which made my journeys to Donner Lake in Lake Tahoe that much more trepidous. Dare I be in rebellion to God that quite possibly something would come after me? The book of Jonah is remembered most often uh, as a a book that is remembered because of the great fish. But it is not, like much of the Bible, about a great fish or even a great King David. It's It's something much more about the great God. The book of Jonah is not about a great fish. It's not even necessarily about a rebelling prophet. It's about a a great God. In fact, uh, the the, uh, the overall theme of Jonah could be shared as that uh, he is the God of salvation, the Lord of salvation. My wife and I, we have four children, and we have tried to follow the biblical model of naming our children with meaning. And uh, our first child was born, and we named our firstborn Peyton. And oftentimes people ask us, oh, you, you as a football guy, you must have named your child after Peyton Manning. And I go, <laughs> ew, <laughs> no, um, he is named after a football player, though, um, and he's named after Walter Payton. You know, I have always had a deep appreciation for football, uh, for the discipline of sports. It has been a tool that God has used in my life to keep me uh, in a healthy path, especially in the home I grew up in. Uh, and so I have a deep appreciation for it and a deep appreciation for athletes who are not only great, but have great integrity. And uh, so we named Peyton uh, after Walter Peyton. And then came our second born child. 
And uh, we got a little bit more biblical with him. And, and uh, Jonah has always meant a lot to me as a book. It's one of the first Bible stories I remember. And I, I said to my wife, I, she may have a little bit more vivid memory of this and how it went down. I said, let's, let's name him Jonah. And I remember the look on her face. It was a look of fear. We're naming our children after uh, something that is biblical and has meaning. And she said, but what if he ends up running from God? What if we name him Jonah and he runs? Those of you who know Jonah knows that it probably is fitting. Um, <laughs> however, I, I shared with my wife, knowing the background of Jonah, Jonah was one of the very first books I ever taught at 21 years old in a school of ministry in San Diego. Uh, and Jonah is not, a, it's not about a running prophet. It's about the reality that God's missionary purposes will prevail. That God in his sovereignty uh, will bring anyone that he desires to salvation. There is no running from God. That's what Jonah teaches us. And as I shared that with her and allowed uh, my wife, you know, as we went through that uh, decision process, I said what we're sharing within the name of Jonah for our son is no matter how much Jonah runs, Jesus runs faster. The book of Jonah is a minor prophet. It's one of 12 minor prophets in the book. It does not mean that it is insignificant compared to the major prophets. It's short. It's four chapters. Four chapters segmented into two parts. Uh, the first part in chapter one is Jonah's encounter with God. God speaks. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And then in chapter 1, Jonah has an encounter with some pagan sailors. Chapter 2, he is swallowed. This is part of the second segment. He's swallowed by the great fish, and there is a prayer of Jonah. Chapter 3, Jonah is vomited out of the whale, and he has another encounter, much like the sailors, in chapter 1, uh, with some pagan Assyrians, the Ninevites. Chapters 1 uh, and 3 are one part. Jonah's encounter with God, the word of the Lord coming, both encounters with pagan individuals. Chapters 2 and 4 are prayers of Jonah, encountering and speaking with God. Thus, the book is two parts. It's a book of great irony, and it's a book intended to have some humor in it. Uh, what should not happen in the book of Jonah actually happens. For instance, you have a prophet who's supposed to stand in the presence of God, running from God. You have pagan sailors who do not know God, returning or running to God. And then you have an evil king who humbles himself. And even to the extent, again, ironically and, and in a way very humorously speaking, that even the cows repent. I don't quite know how cows repent. Maybe they had a corn diet and went back to a more grass diet. I'm not exactly sure. Nonetheless, it's mentioned within the text. Jonah is unique and that God sends him not to the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Israel, which was the common practice of a prophet. Uh, Jonah had some contemporaries, uh, Amos and uh, Hosea. And anytime you see prophets in the Old Testament, God would call that prophet to go to God's specific people. And it would be northern, southern Israel. This is the only prophet that is not called to uh, northern Israel or southern Israel, but God sends him to a very evil city, the city of Nineveh. Miles from his home, not his own people. All of this ties into some of the book that we'll see of why it's so important uh, in this message that Jonah shares. Some thoughts on the book that are important so we understand the kind of angle for the next several weeks that we're going to tackle Jonah from. There are some misconceptions that are believed about Jonah. Some believe that Jonah is a mythological book. It's a Jewish fable. Uh, 
nothing more, nothing less. Some believe that uh, it was uh, allegorical, that it's an allegorical book. It's got deep uh, meaning behind it. It's kind of supposed to be more poetic than anything else. And then others, others believe that actually Jonah was a real guy, but Jonah didn't really experience this. Jonah fell asleep on the boat, like it says. And as he fell asleep on the boat, God gave him a dream to warn Israel, not the people of Nineveh, but Israel, that if Israel did not repent, that they would be in captivity, that they would fall into the belly of Babylon, as in the belly of the whale, uh, unless they repented. Now, we are not coming to the book as a church uh, from that perspective. We believe it's a historical book. We believe it's a literal book. Uh, and there's a few reasons for it. I have this quote here to read to us the, this morning. Uh, he says this, all of, all of those views are wrong. The book of Jonah is a real story. It's a literal story. First of all, it's written in a very simple, straightforward historical narrative. There's no reason to suppose it's anything but what it says. Second, the Jewish historian Josephus, who's a, a very reliable uh, resource, who wrote, who wrote quite technically and in a detailed fashion about many historical periods of Jewish history, speaks about it as an actual story, as do many other Jewish historians. But of that aside, the reason we know it's a literal historical story is because the Lord Jesus Christ, who referred to Jonah as a prophet, as a literal historical figure. So Jesus himself, if you remember, he says, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Let alone, we'll turn there in a moment, uh, let alone Second Kings, which is a historical book, mentions that Jonah is a real historical figure. There's just nothing in the text Nothing for us to doubt that this is a historical book. Now, some would say this. They would say, well, uh, this is kind of a hard thing to believe, a man being swallowed by a great fish. Um, I would argue believing that someone returns from the dead is probably a little bit more challenging. So if, if you have a hard time believing in this, you'll have a hard time believing in Jesus. Now, that word great fish uh, is an interesting word. Some translate it. It's not translated as a whale. So, so just so you guys know, to, to appreciate you know, what is put forth in a series like this, every, all the little art pieces you see here have been hand-painted by a couple different people in the church. And uh, the, so you understand the lettering here. It's Jonah's name in Hebrew. And um, th- th- this behind me, who, who knows what kind of fish that is? It's a whale shark. All right, we got some uh, Discovery Channel fans. Um, it's a whale shark, and uh, just so you know, like, because some of you are like real Bible nerds, and you're like, oh, it was not a whale shark. It wasn't a whale shark, not that we know of. It, it's, it's a great fish. Some actually have translated it in the way of the same word as Leviathan, a, a, a massive creature of sorts. And so it's believed uh, from different theologians, different angles, maybe it was a great whale. A whale shark, I think, is capable of uh, swallowing a human being. It's also possible that it was some kind of prehistoric animal that existed in the ocean at the time. And others believe that maybe it's quite possible God designed a, a very specific fish uh, with a specific design for a specific purpose for a specific guy in Jonah, and that was his purpose. Nonetheless, we don't know. We just know that it happened and that God is teaching us something in this. Uh, and so here's a couple things I want to answer uh, as we kind of press in. Whenever I do a book, because by and large we teach through the Bible in books, I always get the, the, the question, why? Why John? Why Jonah? And like I said earlier, a couple of people said, you just chose Jonah because it's short, and Lord knows you need a short book. Um, no, he, here's why, and they'll bring out some themes within Jonah. Here's why uh, me as the, the, the lead guy here and shepherding our church and trying to do 
what God has called me to do. Here's why. Number one, four main reasons. Number one, we in our church do have people, this is true of any church, we have people who are mad at God. There are people who are mad at God. As we study Jonah, you'll see that Jonah is mad, he's angry with God, he's frustrated with God. Why would you call me not to northern Israel, not to Israel as a whole? Why would you call me to a people who are evil and unkind? For whatever reason, we have people who are mad at God. It may be because you're single. You've been single for far too long, and you're frustrated with the Lord. It may be you don't understand why someone in your family has passed away. You may be questioning the pain in your life. You may be questioning why you have the marriage that you have and why your kids are taking the path that they are taking. For several reasons, we uh, as people at times have a tendency to blame God for all that is bad, and at times we have a tendency to take uh, the acceptance for all that is good. So the reality is within our church, shepherding it well, with people who are mad at God, we want to fix that. Number two, we have people who are running from God. If you're here this morning, it's possible you've been here, you've been here for years, but you're running from the voice of God, you're running from the love of God, you're running from God. Or, or you may be a Christian and you're not running from God, but you're running from the call of God. You're running on God's call for your life. You may call yourself a Christian, but God may be saying to you, you need to make a greater sacrifice. You need to take another step of faith. You need to maybe go to a school of ministry. You might need to go church planting. You may need to go be a missionary. Whatever it may be, we have people in the church that are running from God, running from the call of God. Number three, the church is always in need of more messages of repentance. If the sailors can repent, and this is the message to Israel at the time, if the sailors can repent, and if the Assyrians and Nineveh can repent, then surely God's people can repent. Martin Luther said the life of a believer should be a life of repentance. What he was saying is that all of us are constantly being molded, shaped, and reformed into the image of God. None of us have quite made it. None of us are all there. Mavis is the closest one, right? <laughs> we have a visitor here this morning. He said, I met Mavis, and I said, did she try to get you saved? And he said, in fact, I think she did. She's the closest picture we have. Outside of that, we have not yet made it. All of us need to be shaped and molded in God's image, and so Jonah will help us with that. Number four, number four, which I think we will emphasize pretty heavily. Sierra Bible Church needs a greater heart for evangelism. Sierra Bible Church needs a greater heart for evangelism. For people who are not like us, for people who do, know not, who, who do not know Jesus Christ. Now, I have to be somewhat kind and also somewhat mean when you preach, right? I like how John opened up his message last week when he shared that some of you needed to have your bones broken, that Jesus could mend your, your bones. In the same way, I asked the question, because many churches talk about evangelism, many churches will mention evangelism, but when it comes to actually evangelizing, well, they don't do it. I am always blown away by the responses of Christians who say, I, I don't know what to say. I, I don't feel equipped. I, I, I don't know what to do, and, and I feel like it's going to be awkward, and I feel like it's going to be weird, and, and I'm, I'm just blown away by the response from Christians who've been saved for five years or 10 years or 15 years. And, and, and if I just asked you gently the question that no one has to answer out loud, within the last year, I, can, I might even be able to broaden it. In the last five years, for those of you who are Christians, when was the last time that you shared your faith with somebody who was not like you, who did not know Jesus? Let alone just the awkwardness of saying, hey, would you come to church with me sometime? 
which you know I do in the gym on occasion. These buff, sweaty guys. Nothing like asking a buff, sweaty guy to come to the gym or come to the church with you. The reality is, is that God calls Jonah to a people. He calls God to a people that are not like him. He calls God to a group of people that he does not know. As we push in to the book of Jonah, we see that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah's name literally means dove. It is believed that it has significance in that uh, the dove being a representation of the Holy Spirit. That the work of the salvation, the work of anyone's salvation, belongs to the work of the Holy Spirit. We need a greater emphasis of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's Spirit amongst people, amongst the people's lives. And, and, and when we see one of, if not quite possibly, arguably, the greatest conversion story in the entire Bible, it is not credited to Jonah. It's credited to God and his Spirit. Right? You know Jonah, he runs from the presence of God, and he goes and he preaches a message to the people of God. Now, I'm a pastor, so I, I am continually trying to craft the art, if you'll call it that, of preaching, to, to engage the mind, the attention, the part that, that is creative, to, to, to do well and not stuttering and saying um and all those different things that come with public speech. You know, I'm all constantly working on that craft. And so Jonah, as the great example of an evangelist, walks through the city of Nineveh. It takes him three days to go through the expanse of Nineveh. Three days, and here's his message, essentially. I'll paraphrase it, but it's just as short. Repent, or you're all going to die. And he doesn't even use the words repent. He just says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. you got 40 days. And God uses his apathetical, pathetic message to bring one of the most vile and evil kingdoms in the history of the world to a saving knowledge of God. I have before you the passage of 2 Kings chapter 14. If you have your Bible, you can turn there because we're going we're gonna to tie in the privileges, the great privileges of Jonah with Jonah as, as a little bit more of a foundation to this book. This is the historical book of kings that shares with us Jonah. Another reason why we believe this is a literal book. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23. Um, I know it's small. Uh, on occasion, you know, I've, I've said it before, I don't always put the verses on the screen because I do want to encourage you to open your Bible in church? Because my, my fear is, if you don't open the Bible in church, how will I know that you'll open your Bible outside of church? This should be the easiest place to do it. Um, but I knew it might be hard to find this passage, and I have a couple notes and parentheses here that, you, that I'll bring out so you understand what's happening his, historically here. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, Jeroboam, at this time, this is what it's saying, Jeroboam's the king of Israel. He is known as one of Israel's worst kings ever. He began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Just stop there for a moment. He's an evil king. He's supposed to be a good king because he's the king of God's people. He's doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did not, it goes on now, says, he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, no repentance, 
the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. Yet, yet in the middle of this man's sin, in the middle of his evil reign, it says that God, verse 25, restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as from the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. Let me put it into some simpler words. You have an evil Israeli king. He should not be being blessed, yet under his evil reign, Jonah prophesies, because Jonah is a prophet, he prophesies to Jeroboam, this evil king, and he says to him, under your rule, God is going to expand the borders of Israel into the promised land that is rightfully yours. And God does so. God fulfills that promise. So it shows, shows us that Jonah, even though he flees from the presence of God, Jonah is a true prophet. And it also teaches us something as a church that is very important for you and I to understand and learn. Just because, just because God blesses you, just because you have blessings in your life, does not mean that you're walking right with God. Let me say it another way. Don't look at how much money is in your bank account as a blessing from God, if it happens to be large this morning. Don't look at the kind of car you drive as a blessing from God. Don't look at even the family you have as just a blessing from God. Don't hear me wrong. Those things are a blessing from God, but don't allow those things to be a marker that you are actually walking in right, reconciled relationship with God. And the Bible says it this way. It is God's loving kindness that leads to repentance. It isn't just his judgment, it isn't just his anger and his wrath and comets flying down onto Sodom and Gomorrah, it's his goodness. If you have a lot of great kids like my family has and they're awesome, that is God's loving kindness. You have money in your checking account, it's God's loving kindness. It may be possible that you have a lot of money in your account and God's going, I'm just hoping you'll repent from your sin. Are you with me this morning? God will be good to you because it's the kind of God we serve, we're so blessed. He'll be good to you in hopes that you'll run to him so he doesn't have to be bad to you. The question is, would you rather, would you rather have God bless you and you turn to worship? Because that's what repentance is. It's turning from the worship of things and stuff and people and feelings and emotion and turning to the great love and God, of God and getting that, that feeling from him and your sense of worth from him instead of all that stuff. And, and, and the good news is, is that instead of being swallowed by a whale, you can actually look at what you have that is good and turn now. But nonetheless, God at times can send a whale, can't he? And in the belly of the whale, maybe you will turn in repentance. But here's some privileges we learn about Jonah from this passage, from Second Kings. Number one, here's a great privilege from Jonah. Number one, Jonah was in service to God. I mean, this, is a, this was a tremendous privilege in Israel. You have to remember, what, what was the job of a prophet. The job of the prophet was to stand in the presence of God, to hear the words of God, the very secrets of God, and to proclaim those secrets to God's people in hopes that they would come back to God. Jonah had insights into God's purposes that others did not simply have. Amos chapter 3 verse 7 says, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servant, the prophets. Jonah had a tremendous uh, ability to stand in the presence of God, hear from God, prophesy that. In fact, one quote says this, Ferguson, great theologian, he says, the prophet encountered God in a way that was a burden on their shoulders, a hammer breaking their rocky hearts, 
a fire raging within them. It was bitter to taste, and it came. It could not be halted, and it forced itself on them unbidden. It gripped their minds and touched their conscience. It impelled their emotions. They could not escape the certain assurance that the voice of God was sounding in their hearts and in their minds, and now they must sound that to others through their lips. What a tremendous privilege. Can I share with you something, though? Into the New Testament? Do you know that now is the ability for every single Christian in this room? The privilege was once for a prophet, but now if you have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have been called to stand in the presence of God, hear the great words of God, and then to proclaim the goodness of that God to people who do not know God. Amen to that. You and I are in the same heritage of a Jonah. You've been called to prophetically preach the goodness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Which leads to his other great privilege, that Jonah had a clear sense of destiny beyond even his own people. To be a prophet of God was to know exactly what your job was. What do you do, Jonah? I preach God's word. I preach people's destinies. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. He, he says in Corinthians, I'm one untimely born. I'm, I'm not supposed to be uh, an apostle, and yet I'm an apostle by God's decree and purposes. And Paul himself says it's better for me to live right now because I have a purpose to preach to you than to die and go to heaven. Again, to quote Ferguson, he says, few things are more important for the Christian than to have a conscious sense, a clear sense of God's destiny. That destiny may not be one of spiritual fame. That is of secondary importance. What is important, and here's the kicker, is that we have a sense of what we are for. That you have a purpose. God gives you a purpose. You're to live for something beyond yourself, bigger than yourself, a greater kingdom. You were called to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. I loved, again, John's words last week. America is not the hope of the world. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you, my friends, are a part of that kingdom way before you are an American or some other citizen of any other nation, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is a diverse kingdom. It's a beautiful kingdom. It's got tall guys. I'm not one of them. It's got short guys. It's got rich people. It's got poor people. It's got drug addicts. It's got porn addicts. It's got everything across the board. They're part of that kingdom of God that God brings them together. And there's only one place on a Sunday where God brings all kinds of weirdos together in one room. It's the church. And even if they're not represented in this room, they're, they're gathered together right now on a Sunday, some of them in this own, in our own Tahoe Basin. That, isn't that a beautiful thing? There is nowhere else. I mean, you can get a lot of weirdos to hang out with the same kind of weirdos. You know what I'm saying? We're a whole other group of weirdos. We're a bunch of different weirdos hanging out with a bunch of different weirdos. And I say that because nobody's normal. Maybe that doesn't sit well with you, but you're not normal. It's not normal to come in on a Sunday to raise your hands and sing with your eyes closed. It's not normal to, to worship a God that many people say you can't see, but we can see him. He's in the room. We feel his presence. We have a clear sense also, like Jonah, of our destiny. God gives us a purpose. What a great privilege. And then number three, prophets were in fellowship with one another. Jonah had, I mean, imagine the kind of guys Jonah hung out with. When he hung out with those kind of guys, he, he invested much time in prayer, study, discussion, evangelism to his own people, seeking to know God's will for himself and his people. 
As I mentioned before, those contemporaries that he had, he, he was able to, to hang out with some people who, man, I, I can just share with you as a pastor, some of my favorite moments are to sit down with other ministers who are, who are, who are on the same mission and to just hear where they're at. Because doing, doing church every week can be extremely difficult for a pastor. Let, let, alone, let alone what happens during the week. Just so you know, I don't only work on Sundays. Contrary to popular belief. I did a wedding yesterday, beautiful wedding. You know when I do a wedding? It usually, usually entails six weeks of counseling with that couple as well. Because I just simply am not going to marry somebody without investing in them. Why would I do that? I want to see them do well. I want their families to do well. And so there's time invested, and then people call during the week. I don't know if you know this, but there's brokenness in the room this morning. I had someone say, you know, you've got some wealthy people in your church. Yeah, they're broken, like our unwealthy people. The wealthy ones just do a little better job hiding it, don't they? The reality is, and all of that to say, I enjoy sitting down with pastors because they understand this idea of destiny, the idea of sitting in the presence of God and fellowshipping with somebody who's like-minded in suffering and like-minded in need. And this is why we constantly tell you as a church that the only thing anyone needs in common to fellowship with one another is the understanding that you're a sinner and you're in great need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's all you need. Can I just tell you after almost 15 years of marriage, it's like the number one thing Allie and I have in common. I'm a sinner. She's a sinner. We get it. We're not perfect. I can't fulfill her needs. She can't fulfill my needs. We look to Jesus Christ who fills our needs, and then we live a very imperfect, very perfect life together with four very imperfect, very uh, perfect children together. (laughs) And it's chaos. It's complete, utter chaos. And I've heard from many of you week in and week out because my, my wife has said to me, you know, you got to share some good things about our family every now and then. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm just trying to be real. It's hard. And how many of you have come up to me after services and said, thank you for sharing how difficult it is to raise children in a very anti-Christian, very anti-Jesus movement that exists within America. Thank you for sharing. It's difficult. It's hard. It's bloody at times, metaphorically speaking, but it's so worth it because we serve the God who died for our sins and reconciled us into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It's worth it. Every tear you cry, every sweat that you have, that's come from your brow, all of it is worth the investment to live for Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. We have a destiny that's greater than our counterparts in the world, and we are to proclaim that destiny to the rest of the world that they would know the peace that is with Jesus. Living this life is never easy. Any pastor who preaches to you a prosperity gospel that come to Jesus, it'll all go well and fine, is a liar. You remember John the Baptist. Imagine that gospel. John, follow me and you will lose your head. It's worth it. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. It's an important word throughout all of Scripture. It appears in the New Testament and the Old Testament combined hundreds of times. And when we hear that word, we are to respond to it. My friends, this morning, you have been given the same privileges of Jonah, and I have to ask you the question. I have to mention to you the reality that there may be some of us, like Jonah, who are living with only the memories of past obedience and success to carry us into the future. 
we may be living, substituting our past spiritual record as enough for today. And it isn't. The reality that we learn from Jonah is that no past privilege, nor all past privileges together, no past obedience, nor fruitfulness and service can ever substitute for present obedience to the word of God today. And the reason I share that for you is because years ago when I was doing youth ministry, when we moved here, when Allie and I moved here, just to paint the picture for you, we came from a church of 8,000 people. We say, say, we're going to do an outreach. 500 people show up. And so we take the job here. I've never done youth ministry before. Come back to good old Tahoe from sunny San Diego. It's been a while since I'd lived in Truckee. I remember my wife who grew up in Palm Desert. So we walked into our new little apartment in November of 2004, was it? November, we moved in. It snowed. Palm Desert wife, San Diego husband, thermostat. 78. (laughs) You laugh because you know that's a death sentence. And it was when all of a sudden Mr. PUD showed up and said I owed them $450. And I immediately walked over to the thermostat, turned it down to 65, and threw my wife a blanket. (laughs) We showed up for our first day of ministry, hopeful. At the time, some of you may remember the church was... 150 people. Good, healthy church. Wayne has always been great at teaching God's word. We walked into youth group between the junior high and the senior high who had been without a youth pastor for over two years, and there were eight kids. I looked at Allie, and I said, what are we doing? We had a plan. Our plan? We'll pour into eight kids. We'll disciple eight kids, we'll give it five years, and we'll go back to Southern California. Fourteen years later. The youth group at that time, it took two years. The youth group went from eight to 150. No boast of my own, all God's goodness, all God's grace, but there was tremendous growth. Some of you have been through that youth group. You're sitting in the crowd right now. Some of you are still serving Jesus. Some of you have become deacons. Some of you have become elders over those years. Just a very beautiful thing that has happened. All of God's goodness. Can I share with you? I do not want to be content with living in the past. I want to see more people come to Jesus Christ. I want to see more young people come to Jesus Christ. Again, the the overarching theme as the word of the Lord comes is that salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a book of evangelism. This is God's heart for people who are not like you. Part of Jonah's issue is he confused being elect, being the elect of God with being the elite of God. He confused it. He got content with just wanting to preach to Israel and not other people. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I, as you know, we were down in Southern California. And uh, we were in Palm Desert, and her brother, uh, well, just, just a little bit of a backdrop. Allie, Allie did not grow in a Christian home, just like myself. And uh, her parents sent her to a Christian school to get a good education because that was the best place in the desert to get an education. It happened to be a Christian school, and her parents paid for much more than they thought they were paying for. She got saved at the school, which Allie and I both just got to 
preach at that school to those students a couple weeks ago, which was pretty neat. And um, being in that non-Christian home, she has uh, two brothers and one other sister. One of her brothers still lives in the desert, and he has become a tattoo artist. Doesn't walk with the Lord, doesn't know Jesus, but I've become good friends with him. I've become good friends with his friends. One of them is a, uh, he's not a Christian. I'm doing their wedding actually in December in hopes to be, lead him to Jesus Christ, which is going to be a tremendous opportunity, so please be praying for that. But he's just become the head coach of a big high school in, in the desert. And so he, we're all over at dinner one night. Allie's mom throws a dinner. Allie doesn't know, Allie's mom doesn't know Jesus. Her brother doesn't know Jesus. Her friend doesn't know Jesus. And then what, what he invited, her brother invited all of his tattoo artist friends as well. And so we had all these tattoo artists within, within the house. None of them know Jesus except for Allie and I and our children. And let me tell you, when I say tattoo, if you're around tattoo people, if you've ever been in tattoo parlors, <clears throat> they're not the most pleasant of Christian places. It's not, it's not the place you take your grandma to, right? My grandmother's here this morning. You, you take you to a tattoo shop sometime, Nana, you get a tattoo? No? Okay. I'll keep praying. Keep praying. Um, get my name tattooed on your arm. It'll look great. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sharing this with you because because the, my heart for, for you as a church and my heart for people in our community, I, didn't, I haven't even told Allie this. She, this is always a mistake because she says, why don't you share these things with me? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> um, we, uh, we're in there. There's one guy in particular, he's got tattoos all over the top of his head. He has a sparrow tattooed on his cheek. A couple other tattoos above his eyebrow. Rough guy, right? They're not praising the Lord, they're cussing. They're drinking. As I sat there looking at them, I couldn't help but say in my own heart, and part of it, the Holy Spirit, like, I want my church to look like this. Do you know what I mean by that? Let me share my heart with you in a way that I hope you really receive, in the way that it's intended. I love you people. I don't know why, (laughs) but I do. And God has given me a heart for our church. I care greatly that you would fall in love with Jesus that you would yearn to hear from God, not from Jesse or anyone else, from God alone. I love you. But I love others that are not here yet, and they're not going to look like you. Is that okay? How? I, it's, it's maybe like a big dream, and it's a, maybe it's a stupid dream, and maybe God will do it or won't, but... It's like a total dream of mine that some dude will get saved with a big tattoo on his face and he'll become an elder. What do you do with that? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah surely thought, you don't save those people. Those aren't the kind of people you save. It's not the kind of people you put into leadership. Why not? I'm mindful, when, when Allie and I were at, were at Marta's camp doing the wedding, I didn't share this with her either. I've got a lot of repenting to do. After this. <laughs> I'm mindful that when I'm focused in a wedding like that, at a very nice location like that, pay attention to the help. The person who's serving me drinks, the person who brings my food, 
the person who's standing there, and I said on several occasions, and intentionally so, thank you so much for doing this. In part because God's for the servant. It's how he builds his kingdom, not through power, but through washing feet. Those who understand how to wash feet are the ones who can turn this world completely upside down. And so I, I try to pay attention to them in, in part because of that, but in part because I know, I know that uh, many of those martyrs people are going to go, they're going to leave, they're going to be here for just this season, but the help is here for the long haul. I want to see people like that come to Jesus. My heart breaks for them. And in part, I think it's because in all honesty, like, I relate to those people because that's how I grew up. I am those people. And God in his goodness brings those kind of people from brokenness into a right relationship with God. And my job for those of you who don't know Jesus is to get you to have that kind of heart for the entire world. That you would not be content with the faith you have, but you'd want to share that faith with others. And that you'd share that faith specifically with people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, and don't act like you. God uses people to reach people that are not just like them, but are very different from them. With that, I want to close and pray and just ask for God to minister to us. To convict and mold and shape us. To first of all, for those of us in faith, to see him as a glorious God. Every message is intended for us to look up with gratitude and say thank you. Because you know, some of you, this morning when I mentioned God reaches people that you don't believe can be reached, several people, as I said it, said, that was me. Is that you this morning? What good news. How sad is it that some of us believe that God's incapable of still reaching the unreachable? Jonah's a story of God reaching people who are not supposed to be reached. That should turn our eyes upward. Thank you for salvation. It belongs to you. And it should allow us to go outward to share that with other people. Let's pray. Lord, mold us into your image. Turn our eyes upward to you. May it not be said of us that we look to a man for salvation, but we look to the God-man for salvation. Give us a greater heart of worship. Give us a greater need and sense of need for you. Help us, Lord, not to rely on our own strength, but in every way to lean on you, not our understanding, but acknowledging your path and allowing you to guide us and lead us. Send your voice to us throughout the day. Send your help to us throughout the day. May Jonah remind us to have an open eye to the people in our community that don't know you. May we see them. May we engage them. May we love them. May we serve them. And may we proclaim the goodness of the gospel to them. In Jesus' name, amen.